what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Yes, Pat. I can't help but notice you have a new puppy out there. I do have a new puppy. Have you thought about getting some expert advice on how to raise that puppy? Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just happens that we do have an expert as part of our sponsor group. Really? Yeah, Dan Croft Canine. Do they run puppy class? They run amazing puppy classes. What what on earth do they do there? They've got whole ranges of foundation for puppy school. So they're running a complete socialization package and they're doing a whole range of different levels for puppies. And that's what they really wanted to emphasize is that they are experts in puppy raising and training. Where are they experts in puppy raising and training? In Toronto, Canada. Whoa. So if you were in Toronto, Canada, yep. and you had a friend, a client, a relative, just anybody who was getting a puppy mm-hmm. and you wanted to set that puppy up for success, yep, you could probably send them to Dancroft, can I? If I was over in Toronto, Canada with my new little Rottweiler puppy, Mando, I would go over, and I'm, I swear this, I would go over and I would do the socialization program with them. Great I idea. love what they're doing. Have you seen their setup online? Oh, amazing. Fantastic. Amazing. They had a tire with a medicine ball with a pit bull doing a drop stay on top of it. My goodness. Amongst a dozen other dogs that were doing all similar things, like on BOSU balls and all sorts of things. My goodness. It was great. Fantastic. Unbelievable. Yeah. Hey, speaking of your puppy, mm-hmm. what's going on with his nutrition? Couldn't go past canine tuticles. Supplemented up. Supplemented up to the help. My goodness. Yeah. So he should have arms like Arnold Schwarzenegger by the time we're finished. Where did you get those canine suticles from? From Narelle Cook. Narelle Cook. How, yeah. do, you, how do you know her? <laughs> <laughs> Funny that she's got the same last name as me. Yeah. The supplier is very local. Absolutely. Canine suticles, but Ca- legit, it's probably the best supplements available. Best for supplements dog. available, human grade, gone through the absolute rigorous testing program. I mean, Narelle's got stat sheets on it and everything like that on demand, so... People want to know what they're actually putting into their dog's body supplement-wise. They can reach out to her and she's got all the facts and figures before she even put it down as a physical product. She spent years and years researching it before it was actually come to market. So great stuff. Yes, the puppy's definitely on it. All our dogs are on it. And there's a shit ton of people around Australia and New Zealand who are taking canine suticles and the feedback is astronomical. Amazing. Yep. Do you plan on taking Mando on your motorbike? If I did, you know who I'd have to go to, don't you? You'd have to get one of those Rowdy Hound boxes. Rowdy Hound dog kennels. Yeah. From Horny George. George Kittridge himself. You'd have to get one of those Rowdy Hound dog kennels to go on the back of your motorbike. How good is his social media? It's the best. Yeah. I love watching the dogs cruise around motorbikes. I think it's one of the coolest things ever. They've got their little doggles on. Yeah. You know, like we talk about living the best life. Well, for people who are motorcyclists, they can do both. I'm serious about thinking about getting one, but then I've got to train a – I don't know if having a Rottweiler on the back of a bike is going to be a great <laughs> idea. Your sport but, bike. <laughs> but, well, uh, I think you should do it. Maybe one day when I've got a smaller mid-sized dog, uh, I would get a Rowdy Hound dog kennel and mm. I could travel around. So I could not only enjoy the company of my dog, which hundreds of people seem to be doing across the United States of America, and I could motorcycle at the same time. So Amazing. two things that are very dear to my heart, Coming together. All right. This ad's going on for a long time. Mm. I need to get out of here and go and train some dogs. Yeah. But do you know where I got the equipment that I'm going to use to train those dogs? The goat. 
the goat. The Billy Goat's gruff. Ein's a wiener. <laughs> the wiener himself. Einswick <laughs> dog quip. Yeah. If you're not buying all your dog training gear from them, yep. I don't know where you're fucking getting it from. Well, if not from Thurman, Einswick dog quip, the Ein's a wiener. How the hell does he sell anything being such a grumpy old bastard? He's online now. He's got a website. That's you right. Can, they don't have to deal with him. You correct. can actually buy things <laughs> off the website. You can actually do it now. Yep. Einswickdogquip.com.au yep. or just .com. Probably one of them. I don't it's know. One of them. It just, we'll put try it out. Yeah, put, you, yeah. You'll click. You'll find a link. you buy some stuff. <laughs>
did everything right, like I knew how to do and yep. turned up and it was like, I just had the feeling it was going to go day. much better. Yeah. Mm. And so we only scored a 174.5, but we didn't do the jump. Like I just chose not to do it for two reasons in that. You the, give a shit about your dog. Yeah. I didn't mm. want to train it. That yep. was the thing. So yep. like it. And you've maintained that all along. Yeah. You've, I didn't want to. You said that the last trial yeah. after he hit the jump at one stage and you yeah. realize this is not. Uh, con- yeah. So the risk was like in order to get him physically back able to do it and get good at doing it, I would have had to do a lot of it. There's just too much chance of him injuring himself in doing that much practice for it. So mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I'm just going to not practice it. Uh, the judge was really good about it. I tried to tell her why. Like I said, hey, I'm not like I'm going to line up to the hurdle and not do it because. And she's like, I don't care why. She's like, you can't refuse an exercise. So you just go to the line and then walk back to your dog. I was like, sweet. It was probably interesting. She was like, it's none of my business why you don't jump. I'm just going to score zero. Good like, judge. Fine. Yeah, she was really good. Yep. Really, really good. Yep. People talk about her being a really, Margaret's her name. She, they talk about her being a really hard judge, but I think she's very strict, which is I like in a judge. Like one of the things that I hate is when people – we either follow all the rules or none of the rules yep. kind of guy, right? We're either in the spirit of it and just kind of going along or we're following the letter of it. Exactly. And as long as it's one or the other, I'm fine. But it's I think that that's where people can rightly get pissed off is when like sometimes we're strict and sometimes we're not. So mm. she was dead strict. Inconsistency. And it was, yeah, she was great. Anyway, so I didn't demonstrate the jump. So that's 15 points gone. And then the other points that I lost, I lost one point in the flea attack. She said that I sent him a bit early. So right on the horn, I was like, go, because he was on the cusp of losing him. He was going to go anyway. So I was like, go. Yep. So I lost one point there. And then all the remaining points I lost, like the remaining 10 or, or nine or whatever it was, was in the defensive handle. I had to pull some tricks to, yep. for it to go the way that I wanted it to. And got caught on it. Yeah. I mean, just tiny things. Like I did a little pirouette. Where I sat on this one bench, instead of walking straight across, I turned in, I turned left. I did like a, for no reason, left turn. And she caught you on your bullshit. Yeah. yeah I mean, and, and judging. Yeah, yeah exactly. judging. Yeah. Yeah. And in her critique, she was like, I know exactly why I did it. And it was the right thing to do, but I have to take those points. And yep. I was like, yeah, sweet. Yep. So anyway, it went really well. I was really happy. And then I was, only, it was a two day, it was a two weekend trial. And I was only meant to show on the Saturday because I had a bunch of birthday parties and stuff to go to on the Sunday. And it was my kid's birthday party. So it wasn't like I could miss them. So I had no intention of trialing on the Sunday. Yep. And then like my ego just got the better of me. And I was like, well, I did so well on the Saturday. I'll, I'll kill it on the Sunday as well. And then like what I was thinking was, I just want to close that out because there's no way I'm going to go onto an MR2. Like, no way because too much jumps involved and it's too much. Like, I'm not a Mondio guy. I was just doing it for fun. Yep. Right? But then I was like, well, if I just pass again, I get the title and then, like, I can really put that to bed, right? Like, I'd never have to think of, even think about it again. But, like, I had prepped – like all of our trial prep was for a day and yep. like our reinforcement schedule and everything was all in line for it to go really well for one day. Mm. And it didn't work a second day. And I could tell even when I was putting him in the car, I was like, oh, this is it. like, as we we're leaving the house. Cause what, what I needed to do and I didn't have the time was after the trial on the Saturday, all I need to do is go throw the ball for him, fuck around with him, play mm. with him. You know what I mean? And maybe like, ideally I could have done some bite work and let him have some like, you know, decent bites. Cause you know, in a trial, their bites are so shit for the dog. Like it's like in 10 seconds off, no regrips, no nothing. Right. So if I could, if I just gone and thrown the ball and just played with him and done normal stuff, it would have been fine, but I didn't do any of that. And so, cause I had stuff to do, I had to rush home and then I had like, I, I, had to convince Jane that like, I promise I'll be back by 10.30 the next day. I had to go first <laughs> in the trial and then leave like immediately after. So like it just, the, it was this stupid thing to do. I shouldn't have done it. And I could tell as I was putting him in the car, he was like, hang on, mate. Like 
we're going to do that same bullshit we did yesterday where you gave me no reinforcers. You gave me three shitty little bites and no reinforcers. Mm. So as we're entering the field, I was like, oh, this is going to go bad. And it did. Like we would have been okay. We blew in the defensive handler because I tried the same tricks. Yeah. <laughs> she, she dismissed me straight away. She was like, no, you're fucked. Yeah. Because like same deal. Like I could feel that I was losing him and I did this weird, I walked off in like a weird direction and stamped my foot. She's like, nah, I'll let you get away with it like once, but this is too overt. Yeah. So that was the end. So yeah, we didn't pass a second day because of that, but it was a, it was not a great display, but I was really happy with the Saturday, not so much with the Sunday and, and totally I'm aware, I know exactly why it's because I wasn't prepped. Like I, I, it was a stupid move. I should never have done it. Like I was just like, oh, I'll just go and I'll just go and pass again so I can put that to bed. But with no forethought as to, oh, well, you got to do the things that you know you need to do. Anyway, mm. That's my story. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Mm. But anyway, it was awesome to hit the field again. It was, Congratulations. Was it's a good yeah. effort, especially going from one discipline to another. Yeah. it's uh, So that's th- four sports now. So we've got a BH, a mm-hmm. bunch of GRC titles, PSA one with the first league of a two and a, a first league of an MR one. So like a lot of entry level titles on a dog. Doesn't it? matter. It's still. Yeah, it's fun to it's do. still doing something and you're still providing evidence with other people that you know what you're talking about when you yeah, get your dog extent. out. Yeah, to an extent. To an extent. Mate, it's still out there. It's a lot more than what I've been doing and a lot more what other people are doing doing. So kudos. I really enjoy trialing. I wish that was one of the things that like I wish dog sports were more established in Australia where, it, you know, like if any sport that was more mm. established where it was just a, you know, every weekend or every second weekend you could count on it being on. That's my issue, right? And that's one of the issues I told you at the start with PSA when we were talking about bringing it in and, yeah. you know, like setting up the foundations originally. I saw what happened in the early days with Schutz and I saw how volatile it was yeah. with the dangerous dog legislations and so forth. The Australian community, the people who are involved in it are good people. They mean very, very well. The majority of them do stick to their own group and they don't cause trouble and they, they run the clubs really well. But the problem is, is, you know, you just need these rogue groups which were running in the background at one stage and they're creating dissension and creating animosity between, or not even animosity, they were creating divisions between yeah. groups. And therefore, we really never get anywhere. Yeah, And that's one of the, I guess, one of the criticisms and even the drawbacks, I guess, which really prevented me from getting invested in it 100%. Like, don't get me wrong, I love PSA and I, I feel privileged to be asked to be a judge under the circumstances and everything like that. I'll, like, I don't take that lightly and I'm really looking forward to judging our first event, which is coming up at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing is, a, is an immense privilege. But the only thing is, is it's just so hard to kick things off. And yeah. it's great that we've got a couple of Mondio groups. It's great that we've got a couple of IPO groups. It's great that we've got a couple of PSA groups, but we need a lot more of them. Yeah. Totally. You know, and that's the thing in order for, as you said before, in order for trials to be, you know, a trial a month where people can go away and get, you know, get their titles up and travel around the country and be judged under different people and so forth. The United States are very proactive in getting things like that involved, you know, like they've got East Coast and West Coast, mid-states and so forth that have got groups that set it up and people are very vigilant in getting involved in it. Yeah, more numbers for sure. I think one of the tricky parts as well, I think we worry in Australia about the public's perception of bite sports more than we probably should. Because I know like in the industry, everybody will like, oh, you know, people won't understand what they're seeing when they see that. And they'll, they'll think that it's making dogs dangerous and all this kind of stuff, right? Educate them. Well, this is the thing. So I kind of feel the same. And so like, I don't post much of that sort of mm. stuff. I don't really put any of it out there because I, you know, I think the same thing. I don't want to cram this down people's throats. People are happy to let us do it when they just don't really know about it. Yep. But 
at my work, the people who work in the office, they know that I'm a dog trainer, mm-hmm. right? That's all they know. And so whatever they imagine a dog trainer is, that's what they imagine I am. Like whatever the avatar of a dog trainer is, they have no idea what I do in the dog training space. Yep. Right. But when I was prepping for that trial, I had to take Remy to work twice. Right. And so I said, oh, I've got to bring my dog in. And they're like, oh, wow. Like how exciting. You're going to be a dog in the office. Right. So I bring in his crate. He's going to be in the crate all day in the office. And it's a, what we call it, an impact crate. It's not a normal dog looking crate, right? It's not the little wire thing that, or the little soft thing that you, yep. you flick up, right? Or the little bed that you tell the dog to stay on. Have you got one of the gunners or something like I've got that? a gunner as well, but this was the collapsible ink impact crate that I'd take oh, yep. if I'm yep. going places, yep. right? So it folds up like a suitcase. Yep. So I bring it in the office and they're kind of looking like, that's a very serious crate for a, bringing a dog in. And then I bring Remy in. Like, so I brought that in, set it up. I go down the car, bring him in. And he's like standard high drive dog in a new place. He's running around the office, jumping on people's desks. He's fucking around. He's like, he's just super interested. People are patting him. He's, you know, stealing shit from people, running around. People are chasing him around. He's got the whiteboard eraser. He's like, people are chasing him, like trying to get it from him. He's yep. hiding under the desk, <laughs> doing all the normal high drive dog in a new place stuff, right? So I let that kind of all unfold and then I'm like, hey, get in your box and he goes and gets in the box. And then it's like the, the conversation, why is he here? And I'm like, oh, we're going to compete on the weekend. I need to take him to training after this. So I didn't have time to go get him. So he's here in the office. And I'm like, what do you mean compete? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go in this trial. It's this competition. I'm going to sort of, you know, like it's this thing where I get scored with the dog. And they've got no idea. They're like, What? And they're like, what do you mean? Like, what does he do? What do you mean he compete like in dog training? Like, how do you compete? So I'm explaining, oh, you got to do all this obedience stuff. But they've not, they don't know, they've never seen me what I do. They don't know what I do in dogs. And then you show them. Well, but they've also not seen my dog under any control because I just had him with me. I opened the door. He's running around doing his own thing. He's nude. He's no collars on nothing. He's just running around being a dog, right? Yep. And then I'd say get in the box and he goes and he gets in the box, right? So I'm like, oh, he, I do these things and it's obedience and, you know, he don't got to do the things I say. And the, one of the girls was like, what? So they just tell him to do random things as you do it. I'm like, no, it's a, there's certain things and I've trained him to do those. And mm. we'd go through that. And then there's the bite work and they're like, the what? And I'm like, yeah, so there's these people on the field and he bites them. Right. And they're like, what? Like had no idea what I was talking, like what? He bites people. I'm like, yeah, he bites the fuck out of people, that dog. Like, and they're like, but we were just patting him and he's running. I'm like, yeah, he's. Like, he's a dog. He's totally fine. He's just a dog in a new place. He's heaps of fun to be around. Like, but why would you train him to bite people? Like, what is that? And I was like, well, you know, and so I sort of give this like very quick sort of lesson on dog sport. And one of the guys was like, I thought you just did police and military type dogs. And I was like, yeah, yeah, because I know I was in the army. It's like, yeah, I, I do that. But like my real hobby and passion and where I got good at that is actually from doing the the dog sport stuff. Like that's where the, we do all this. And I, so I explain to these people who don't know, who have no idea that dog sports is a thing. They're, mm. they're totally unaware that that exists in the world. Right. They're like, there are sports where the dog bites people. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, that's cool as fuck. I was getting ready for the, like, don't worry. It's not an issue. Like I'm getting ready for that conversation. And literally everybody there was like, are you for real? That's awesome. And you get to keep him in your house and he's not, a, I'm like, no, he's totally safe. You just saw all this like running around. And they were like, can we come watch? I was like, yeah, it's out. It's out at this place. They're like, oh, fuck that. We're not driving that far. Right? <laughs> that was the end of that. <laughs> but I was shocked because I don't, you know, like 
when's the last time you interacted with a totally non-dog person who didn't know the type of dog training that you do and then told them that you do biting dogs, right? Like it's been forever since you talk about that with anyone because most of our not, lives not for me. are- yeah, not, not for me. Most I'm, of our lives are totally industry in depth. Like we yeah. we talk to dog people, we deal in dog people. Like yeah, But, but don't forget I've got in my backyard- like um, people who turn up with their pet fluffies. Yeah, yeah, of course, right? So, but, so but, but sometimes not, I get it's no. Sometimes I get in a conversation with them. Like if they see me walking across the car park with my dog. Yeah, you know, like Randy or Macho might be walking. They go, "Oh, it's a really nice dog. What's he do?" And I said, "Oh, he's working on Shepherd." Blah blah blah. And, yeah. You know, sometimes if if I think they're worthy of the conversation, like they'll take it on board. Well, mm-hmm. we might have a conversation. I'll tell them, and I go, "Oh my god! Oh wow! Wow! Oh, I didn't know." You know, that you could do that with, with dogs. Yeah, exactly. So that's been like, it's been years since yeah. I've explained to someone to, like who has no idea what I do in the dog space, what yep. I do in the dog space, right? It's been, mm. and and they were, everybody was like, holy shit, that's cool. I had no idea that existed. Like, that's a cool thing. And I was like, you know, like, I feel like we need to find a way to make more people feel that way. Mm. And we hide what we do and so much. And it's like, because we're worried about how to be perceived, I think probably mostly people will be like, wow, that's awesome. Like, I, I, And in Australia, we really go to great lengths to not show it because we're so concerned about how it will be perceived. I, I know that like in other places they don't. And like, you know, I've been to like clubs in the States where they're training on a, there's a soccer field, they're playing soccer on the field next door and we're doing bite work on this field and nobody even bats an eyelid, right? Like it's no big deal. I guess it depends where you are and how people are used to it. One of the things that really amazed me when we had the Zuko Memorial trial over when you and I were in the States together that yeah. time with Sean and Janet, Sean had a pump action shotgun there that was <laughs> l- yeah, like literally lighting, it. yeah, just blasting off the field and that was totally okay. Like if we did that here, there would be like oh, a maybe this one team turn Raptor up. team would come and arrest you and throw you to the ground and arrest you. Over we there. had a helicopter fly over at a trial when we had the gunshots. Remember that? Yes. We had the police helicopter fly over because there were gunshots in the area. Oh, yeah, that's right. That when we trial? did PSA. Yeah. And we had Alice that had yeah, to she ring had to in. call them and be like, it's yeah. us doing, it's a cap gun. And it's we're a cap doing gun, yeah. Fucking a dog trial. We're, we're just doing dog trials. And she actually, I think she announced it ahead of time. And yeah. just, oh, she announced it the second time because the helicopter thing. Yeah. And then because she was a police officer at the time, she actually rang Castle Hills Police Station and said, hey, we're doing a dog sport trial, we've got a cap gun, we've got licensed firearms holders here, but it's just caps. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm here on site. It's There's no, no danger. And they said, yeah, it's fine, no problem. Yeah. Um, thanks for letting us know. Really appreciate it. If any calls come out, well, you know, and if there's a problem, we'll call you back. Yeah. That was quite amazing. And then we go over to America and then there's like, you know, <laughs> half the people have got, they're armed. Sean's running around with a shotgun with blanks in it, yeah. like a pump action. I'm going, holy fucking shit. Like, this yeah. is just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's just crazy. Madness. Yeah. And blanks are fucking loud too. They are loud. They really crack. Yeah. yeah. My ears were ringing from those. Yeah. I only got it the other day where Janet named her dogs, Danny and Zuko. It's from Greece. Danny Zuko is John Travolta. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, right. Didn't I, you know that? No, I didn't. I was watching Greece and Danny Zuko is John Travolta. He plays the main character in Greece. I was so unaware of that. She must be a massive Greece fan because she's got two dogs called Danny and Zuko. Yeah, right. Danny Zuko. I'm totally unaware of that. I just twigged on it the other day. I thought, holy shit, that's one of those lightning bulbs that hits you right in the tip of the penis. (laughs) (laughs) It's not where I get hit by lightning. Well, you don't play with the same things I play with. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. All right, that's my story. Hey, yeah, just before we kick off, I just want to... Kick off? We're we're fucking up. Yeah, we are. We're we're into the guts of it. I just want to thank Greg Trednick for asking me to come and do a presentation for the... 
New South Wales councils for the Ranger Group. Oh, yeah. Um, huge group, like I think 130, 140 people there. It was a big group at Ridges and Parramatta. I got to get up and do a little segment on dog aggression talks. Mm-hmm. Perceived very well, got good feedback, all those from people who came up and met me and thanked me for coming on and so forth. Didn't know what people wanted. Sometimes it's very it can be very hit and miss when you're lecturing to a group like that, mm-hmm. but they enjoyed it. I think what they did enjoy was I wasn't talking nonsense or talking opinion. I was talking fact. So mm-hmm. I was quoting from Abrantes and obviously Uncle Bobby and most of the people that I think are credible in that field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they enjoyed it. So I just wanted to thank Greg for giving me the opportunity, made some great contacts there. It was very well run, very mm-hmm. well organized what I saw of it. Everything ran to time. It was very professionally organized, the presentation and the slideshows and everything. It was it was fantastic. I mean, I had a huge – I had something like 90 slides to get through in an hour and a half. So, you know, I was really pumping because I thought if I spend just one minute on each slide, that's like 90 minutes long and, you know, that's pretty much the time. So there were times where I had videos to play to show people, you know, dogs being aggressive and all sorts of things that I usually do on the – it takes me a day usually yeah. to get through it, to do the whole thing properly. But um, I raced through it, and but I still got to the end and got to take a few questions and then got to talk to people during lunch, which was really cool. I'd Thanks, Greg. To, really appreciate it. Maybe um, Andrew Clark's a person to speak to about this, but I'd love to talk to someone who's been a council ranger for a long time. Yep. You know, like 40 years or more. Mm. Because I'd love to hear about like what they've seen change in dog culture and the the management and dealing with dogs. That would be an interesting discussion because I've actually met animal management officers or rangers who actually hate people and you can understand why. Like there's an industry term with Australian police and I'm not going to say they all say this, but when they're dealing with that element of ilk that they constantly come across, they call them grubs, Mm. you know, because they're just grubby people who just have no care about the community. They just care about themselves and they're just complete fuckwits. Mm. And Management officers, the rangers, they have to deal with that same sort of common element too where it's constant people who keep fucking up and keep making the mistake Mm. that everybody else in the community who aren't doing that, they end up paying for it down the track. Yeah. Because then council have to look at it as a liability to the community and saying, well, these dogs keep doing these things. How are we going to keep people safe if we've got a community that just won't obey the rules? So we have to make them quite tight and quite stringent. But then you get to the point where you just think, I can't stand even turning up to these people's properties. Even though you shouldn't have that bias, you should treat every case as an individual and go there. After years and years of dealing with it, sometimes you just think this is just going to be another one of those cases. And it only reinforces it when you're right and you think, see, told you, it's going to be exactly like that. Yeah. Where it's just such a pleasant surprise when it's not for some of these people. Because I've talked to them about it and they do get somewhat jaded about it where it's difficult because then the community says, well, you shouldn't be biased and you shouldn't feel like this. But it's like what we talked about on the show a while ago, when vets are seeing nothing but damage from using training equipment, then they develop a bias about it quite quickly. Mm. You know, then they say, well, we're seeing that. And us as trainers don't, we don't see that. We don't have reports going back there. But when you've got one dog, two dog, three dog that's come in, over a period of time where you see things, you start thinking, well, there's a pattern here. Yeah. You know, I'm starting to see the same thing. Well, it's because you're in, sometimes in those sort of situations, that's what you're in a fixed pattern of seeing that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, you're the person, you're Johnny on the spot for dealing with that problematic behavior. Yeah. I think for sure, you know, anybody that deals in law enforcement <clears throat> and that kind of stuff, it's tricky. It's a difficult life because the people that you're interacting with day to day are either in the midst of some, you know, critical life event that's 
they're probably going to remember as the worst day of their life. Like they're mm. the victim of something. Yes. Or they're the perpetrator of something. And mm. they're the people that you deal with sort of every day. And most people are lying to you. It would be like you can see how people get kind of pretty jaded and, and learn not to like people. Yes. But what I'm interested in. Or dogs. In, yeah, or dogs, right? Because you're only dealing in the problem dogs. So like, like so many dog trainers I think have like a warped view of what a dog is, you yep. know, especially like we've had this conversation a million times. We can upset the same people all over again when – like so many dog trainers think that cavoodles are the worst dogs in the world. Where Yeah, in, in I remember reality, that when I got so much heat for posting a picture of yeah. me cuddling a cavoodle and yeah. people said to me, man, what the hell were you yeah. thinking? But in reality, like you're seeing a lot of cavoodles with issues because there's so many cavoodles. Yes, right? that's right. Like yeah. if you if you put a – if you got a, a, a slice of – how many Dalmatians have behavioral problems versus how many Cavoodles have behavioral problems. And they say, well, I've, I've only ever seen one Dalmatian with behavioral problems. Like, yeah, because but, there's not a glut yeah, of Dalmatians You've only anymore. seen 10 Dalmatians. Right? But there used to be when 101 Dalmatians came out when I yeah. was a kid, when Disney first released that, everybody wanted a Dalmatian. Yeah. Maybe Dalmatian is a bad example because it's a very shallow gene pool there. But just in general, I think that as trainers, as people who fix problems, you are presented with only the problems. Mm. And so you, you have this view that, everything's a problem. Whereas in reality, there's probably in Sydney alone, there's probably, God, there's probably half a million cavoodles. You know what I mean? And being a very large boarding provider for pet dogs, we see an enormous amount of cavoodles who are lovely dogs. Yeah, amazing dogs. The owners of the company have two cavoodles, which are the sweetest little cavoodles you ever meet in your life. Yeah. Like Sunday, their oldest dog is just beautiful. That was the one I had a picture with when I go around there. She basically treats me like I'm her owner yeah. because I've known her since she was eight weeks old and she's just an adorable dog. Yeah. And they love her in every way. She's the perfect inside dog. That's pretty normal that council rangers would be a little bit jaded about dogs because mm. they only deal with the problem ones. But I would love to talk to someone who's been a ranger for a long time um, and you know, discuss what they've seen over 40 years and the way that you know the problems that occur with dogs, like what their day-to-day 40 years ago looked like to what their day-to-day looks like now. Because mm. like I can remember as a kid – thinking oh, we used to call the council ranger the dog catcher. Yep. Right. And it was because there were, yeah, dogs were just out wandering around doing their own thing. And where I grew up, our dog, like especially the dog that we had when I was very young and even the dog after like was mostly a front step dog. Yep. They were <laughs> and, in the front yard. Yeah. And mm. did whatever she wanted because we lived near Callum Park there. That dog used to run away all the time, especially when I was a kid and like the kids, like when I was very young, if it was my or you know my older sister's responsibility to take the dog out, the dog would just be like, fuck you, I'll see you this afternoon, right? And like run up into the park and the dog was fat because like, <laughs> you know, like 10 people probably were feeding yep. the dog. Had like whole community other- Community dog, it's yeah, a community dog. The dog had like whole other families. <laughs> that, like many. Like, yeah. Yeah. But so um, I always used to, we used to run away from- the dog catcher whenever, mm. cause you know, I'll fuck if I'm going to use a leash, I, like fuck that. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. So like it used to be, if I saw the council ranger car when I was a little kid and probably I was like super influenced by like kids TV shows, you know, like with like Tom and Jerry, how the dog catcher would get the, the bulldog the big net. Yeah. What yeah. was his name? The bulldog. Ike. Ike. That's what you're influenced by as a kid. And I used to think of the council rangers as the dog catcher and you run away from them because they steal your dog from you. It was usually either a Ford or a Commodore Ute yeah. with the big canopy on the back with yeah. the big whirly birds on, yeah. The, yeah. on the back. And as soon as you'd see it coming, you go, oh, there's that fucker. Yeah, that's and that dog catcher. Yeah, and it, that, you're right. As kids, you would all try and get the dog. Come on, mate. Come on, let's go. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what a turd I am, right? So <laughs> 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 My old dog, Ernie, right? Like he, we used to run together all the time. That's all we did, right? Because yep. he wasn't dog social. He wasn't aggressive or anything. He just did, had no interest to be with dogs. And I'm sure I could fix this issue now, 
but I had no idea how to do it when we had him, but he wouldn't retrieve anything. He just, you'd throw something for him. He'd run out and be like, it's out here. And that was it, right? Like he'd stand there and be like, I found it. What do you want me to do? And you'd have to go get the ball and throw it again. Now I know very well how to fix that problem now, but then I had no idea. Yeah. I used to just go running with him. He loved it. And we used to just run all the time. So when we lived in Coogee, I used to run from Coogee to Bondi like at least once a week. Yep. And you're not allowed to have dogs in the cemetery there. And there's parts of it that are on leash and I never did that because he would run like right in a heel, right? He just like, you know, maybe he would be a stride ahead of me at max, but he would always be right next to me. Yep. And you're not allowed to have dogs in the cemetery where you go through there. And they used to have security guards that would like try and stop you. And um, I used to give him fake name and shit all the time, right? And just be like, yeah. And I'd get the, I'd get fined all the time and I'd send it. I'd be like, oh, I don't have any um, ID on me, mate. Like it was pre-people carrying phones. This is like 2005, right? Yep. I'd just give him a fake name and, be, and and a real address of one of my friends and make sure they, the bills got sent to them. And then there was another time when I was running around the bay and I had him off leash at an area where you're meant to technically have dogs on leash. And the guy, there was the ranger in the in the park there. He's like, hey, hey, you have to stop. I said, mate, you're going to have to catch me. And I just... <laughs> Like I just said it to him and I just kept jogging and there was no way he could. He tried to jog after me for a while. I was like, come on, <laughs> you get me. And then he ran to his car and he was clearly going to like head me off at a different area. So I turned around and ran the other way. Totally random and totally unrelevant, but still hilarious. Have yeah. you seen the movie Little Nicky with Adam Sandler? Yeah. Where he's the devil's kid. Yes. Yeah. There's a stage in there where they find out he's a monster and the whole community start chasing him. Yeah. Like this huge fat guy sitting on a crate eating a Snickers bar and everyone's running after him. So he, he gets up to run after him and he takes like five steps after him, looks at his Snicker bar and goes and sits back down. And keep, <laughs> I fucking die with laughter every time I see that. Yeah. 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 Well, that's kind of what happened. Yep, with that's, and that's what made me think of that skit. Yeah. So like I was a turd. I used to yeah. run with my dog off leash all the time, but he was never a problem dog. And this was, you know, at a t- like a time when it just wasn't an issue. It, mm. That was probably right at the start of when that became a thing, like where people were starting to say, hey, your dog has to be on leash in this area. Because before that, like when I was a kid, it was just the dog was out, like the dog was with you. It wasn't a thing. And I'd love to talk to a, a ranger about like how that's changed. Like what has their day-to-day like what's their day-to-day work changed like over the last 40 years where they probably were out picking up strays and then having to deal with getting those dogs back to people and that kind of job to now dealing with a lot, probably a lot more reactive dogs, a lot more problematic dogs. And reactive humans. Yeah. I'd love yeah. to have that conversation. I think it'd be really interesting. As long as it's not one of the people that I said that I have to, I could run away from and did. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't get that fine retrospectively. Yeah. Well, okay. If there's anybody out there in the community, local New South Wales. Yeah. Um, that'd be good to get someone in. Have yeah. A chat if anyone wants it. to chat about it and tell us about how times have changed, what you've seen, how legislation has changed, you know, how people are letting other people down in those sort of situations where they're creating problems and as a community, what we can do about it to improve those sort of situations. Yeah. It's amazing really. And I, I keep saying this on a regular basis that even though we have access to supercomputers in our pocket, which as kids, you know, this was Star Trek science fiction to have, I'm holding an iPhone, like that was absolute science fiction. Mm. But now it's absolute science fact. Mm. We can reach into that and we can contact anyone in the world at any time of day if they're awake and they've got their phone on them. We can access information readily. Every single university, every single bit of literature that's free online, you can access it immediately. And yet people still do the most heinous, stupid things that you would think 
if we had access to this 30 years ago, this will eradicate those issues. If not, sometimes they're worse now. Because mm. I'm sure that they use these phones to look at cat videos and not to And argue with them. people. Yeah, and argue with people. It just it defies all sense of logic. I'm not saying that I'm a pillar of perfection and that I don't do stupid things from time to time because I do. It's part of human nature. But I try not to do it where I can see it's going to cause harm, disrepair to reputation, harm to other people. You know, like I really try not to do things like that. I might fumble through things, but I really genuinely make attempts not to fuck around with other people. Mm. You know, I try to live and let live as much as I possibly can. Mm. It just amazes me that other people don't. And that's why people in law enforcement groups who have to deal with these people on a day-to-day basis, this is why they get jaded towards them. This is yeah, why they sure. they have a, a certain amount of preparedness. As a dog does, when it sees a similar situation time and time again, it thinks, oh, here we go. Here's that old chestnut time and time again. Mm. Here it comes. Here comes the attitude. Here comes the behavioural sequences. I can see it all unfolding before my eyes. And you develop that immediate bias straight away. Mm. Like sometimes you can even walk up the driveway and you look at the car, you look at the the habitat, I guess, and all of those key indicators start stacking up and you think to yourself, yep, it's just like yesterday. Mm. Mm. Goodness gracious. Moving along, (laughs) (laughs) we sort of had a, a topic in mind and I wanted to talk about something that I saw online a while ago. It's a quote from Jordan Peterson who seems to be getting himself in and out of trouble more regularly than not, but I'm not going to get into the political side of it. If you think he's a fascist and so forth, this is a quote that he said. The quote said, you should be a monster, an absolute monster, and then you should learn how to control it. And this is something that I think we focus a lot on in training dogs. Mm -hmm. And I totally endorse that when I'm trying to help people socialize and build and structure a puppy into adulthood. Mm. There's been lots of episodes in the past where we've talked about the relevance of this. And yet I still have people asking me questions about this and saying, why would you do that? You know, like, why would you want, why would you want your dog to be a monster? Mm. Well, I'm letting Mando be a monster right now. He is untethered. He's allowed to do whatever he wants to do within reason. I should say within reason. You know, like the other day he came on and he locked hold of my hand and, you know, like he really chomped into me and I told him pull up on it. He did because I put a little bit of effort into chastising him. There was no physical chastise. I just verbally chastised him and he pulled up. He looked at me and went, oh, I'm not supposed to do this. Then we found a toy. Then we started to engage in that and he, you know, like we took off from there. Mm -hmm. So I, I showed him the difference between two. One's not rewardable. One ends the game. One continues the game not teaching anyone to suck eggs who's been following along with this, but he, I'm, I'm letting him be a little bit of a monster right now mm. because I am going to teach him how to control it later on. Mm. And people say, well, when do you do that? I watched a good video with Bart the other day who's currently got himself a little puppy and he mm. was swimming around in it and he was talking about the same principles he teaches a lot in the NAPOPO courses. Let them be puppies. Let them be reckless. Until the driver's there, what's the point in trying to cap it already when they're still baby puppies? Mm. I commented under that. I said, sage advice. I really appreciate that comment. And I appreciate when I see people doing that. I appreciate when I let them seeing their puppies be reckless and untamed to start with, that they allow them to be full of drive and full of gusto, not to be rude, okay, but just to be confident and capable of being far more exploratory because I think that just gives you a lot more edge. So when Jordan Peterson's talking about becoming a monster, fundamentally that's what it means is become the best and the strongest version of yourself and then learn how to control it. Mm. And then some people go, well, what about people who can't control it? Well, there's always going to be that element. 
And the worst thing is, is somebody who's not quite a monster, but becomes a different kind of monster mm. because their brain is wired differently. And then they can't control that because they try and control things through fear. And that is a different beast upon itself as well. Yeah. So that's not something that I encourage people to do with puppies. There are people that are probably listening to this going, but Glenn, you talk about the domestic dog and pet market. How are they going to keep and control their dogs? That's a good question and it's a good point and it's worthy of discussion because mm. there are certain times where more control and, and people say, well, that's contradictory straight away. It's adding to the conversation and it's adding to reason. There are times where if you can see that that dog is in danger because it's becoming too much of a monster, well, then you have to start working on it at that period of time. Every single event needs to be analysed critically and you need to look at it and you need to say, if this person is capable of raising this dog this way, let it be. Mm. As John Lennon says, let it be. But if they're not capable of that, and I remember listening to Karen Becker talking about this with her whole debate on desexing because of the endocrinology issues that it creates with desexing. And she said in that video multiple times, which has had millions of views around the world, unless you need to, don't desex your dogs early. Mm. Don't do it. But if you're not responsible, if you're one of these people who's going to create a problem, then do it mm. because it's better than the alternative of what it's going to create. Mm. There's another saying that I want to add to this, which I think complements what I'm talking about. And it's from Frederick Douglass and it says, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Mm. And I think of that quote quite readily when I'm thinking about puppies as well. It's easier to create a dog that's strong and robust and ready for the world than to try and fix this broken, shallow, empty dog that's got a ton of problems later on in life. Is that Frederick Douglass, the former slave? Yes, yeah, okay. it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting quote. Yeah, man, I agree. I think that I spoke about this quite a bit this morning on the live stream uh, in Patreon, but it was about dealing with little puppies and exactly that, like at what point do you intervene on things? Because I think so many dog trainers are saying all this same stuff. Mm. I think for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, I was guilty of like once you start out in dog training, you've got a skill set. Like, you, sorry, like you start out, you've got no idea, you've got a dog and you're just kind of trying to repair the damage that you've done on that dog when you yeah. actually understand what you're doing. But then so many dog trainers then are like, okay, I'm getting the dog, right? Like I'm getting the dog that's going to prove my my worth, right? Or my skill set, whatever. I'm going to demonstrate how good I am with this dog. And you get it at eight weeks old and you get it from the right breeder and you get the right bloodline. It doesn't matter what kind of dog it is, but you know, you do the right things and it's going to be your dog and you put too much work into it and you just create way too much control in a young dog. Yep. And I've done that. To varying degrees, many times. Certainly, even with Remy, had more control than I would ever put on another dog early ever again, right? You know, because like he's six, you know, like that's a that's that's a long time ago. And so every dog, I'm sort of learning how to leave them longer and open them up more, mm. and then bring in the control work later and do that in a way that the dog still feels quite empowered. Yeah. But I think the first thing and most important thing when raising a puppy is, and we've discussed this so many times, is keeping them safe from themselves, safe from the world and safe from themselves. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Mm. And, and so the, the sort of the question on how much control work do you do and corrections and what do you allow them to just get away with? You know, like exactly as you say, like your puppies, especially you're dealing with working dogs, they're going to bite your pants. They're going to do all the annoying little things. And I'm not just going to let them do that, but I'm going to not stop them either, right? So it's going to be management around that. And when they do it, we're going to go for the redirect and we're going to try and attempt that 
he, we don't squash that part of them. I want to keep that part of them very much alive, but I also then want to just not have them express that part of them in that way and show them another way to do it. And we talk about, you know, carrying a little toy around and when they bite you, you redirect them into that toy because you mm. want to close that, that window. But then there are other things that it's like, no, you'll never be allowed to do that. That's off the that's off the table, right? But see, the intelligent key phrase that you said before is management. Yeah. And I totally endorse that because when people say the same thing, when earlier when I was talking about the different traits in people, when people would say, well, that's conflicting already. Like you're saying, let them be monsters, let them do this and let them do that. But then you're saying to the domestic market, well, don't. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is assess it towards your lifestyle. Mm. Like in your lifestyle, if you can see this is too much, then it's time to elevate your management structure. Then you need to look at it and say, I need to step in more now Mm. because this is disrupting my life and causing a problem and making me fall out of love with the dog. Yeah. For people listening to the podcast who aren't trainers, who are pet owners, you need to analyze every situation in its unique form. You need to look at it and say, I've got this dog. Right now, it's been robust and rambunctious, but it's not really pissing me off and it's not causing a problem with my family or the community at large. It's just been investigatory. It's been enthusiastic and so far so good. But if that changes, like if you get in there and say, well, the dog is biting a little bit too hard and tearing the kid's pants and so forth, well, then yes, you do need to manage it and you do need to step in and you do need to create boundaries around those behaviours. You need to let the dog know in order for you to, to continue to stay in this house, and stay safe, you need to stop doing these type of things. Here is what you are allowed, however, to do. You can rip and tear these toys or you can bite them hard or you can throw them around the room or whatever. They're yours to do as you wish. Mm. That is part of a management structure. Yeah. I think, you know, the more I think about it, think about that quote, right, like learn to be a monster and then learn to control it. I, I can see that upsetting people that don't like it, but I think that it's a misunderstanding. You know, that's the issue. That's why quotes like that exist is because it- it Creates controversy. Yeah. And and at its core, what I think that really means is um, create a, you know, become powerful and self-confident. Yep. I think that's what it means is is like powerful and self-confident because what you don't see is self, like beings, whether they're dogs or people or whatever, that are powerful and self-confident doing things that we would in dogs look at as like aggressive reactivity sort of stuff. And in people, you know, that obnoxious unsocial behavior and treating other people poorly and whatever, all the like powerful and self-confident people don't engage in that sort of activity. Mm. And I think that's the idea with dogs is you want to create them, like raise them to a point where they feel powerful in themselves where they have a level of self-confidence where they're like, no, I'm, I'm okay. I can be confronted by something that maybe would trigger a, that, you know, shitty aggressive reactivity sort of response. And it won't because the dog's like, no, if this situation were to turn bad, I feel okay about this situation. Like that's not where my mind goes. My mind doesn't go to the place of like, oh no, I'm in danger because the dog feels powerful and has self-confidence to handle himself in that situation. Mm. And that the control comes from that. So I think that's sort of like just talking behaviorally and not talking about sort of actually training the dog to do things. But I think the quote talking about become a monster and then keep it under control, I think that it's not like those are two separate things. I think that the idea is become self-confident, become powerful in yourself, and that will give you the control in a circumstance where otherwise you may not. Mm. And I think we think about it in terms of, build a big engine, no brakes. Cause that's what we talk about with biting dogs and that kind of stuff, right? Big engine, no brakes. But in pet dog terms, 
It means like create the most robust and powerful dog that you can in his mind and body. And then you won't have the issues that will require a ton of control later Absolutely. on. Because you just won't be an issue. Mm. You know, like, so Valerie's got an injured eye. But she's Her and Remy, I don't know what happened. She's got a little cut on her eye. I had to take her to the vet today. And the vet remarks like, oh, wow, like she's real. Like she walks to the vet like she owns a place. And then she doesn't like going in the uh, cubicle, the little room thing. She mm. gets a little bit sooky to me, but she's a thug, you know. She yep. walks around like she's a thug. And the vet remarks like, "Oh, she's like she's very confident little dog," and and I was like, yeah, "That's not by accident, you know." Yeah, there's there's <laughs> like, lots of work in that. Yeah, mm. like that's a lot. Like she is very well bred dog, obviously, but but there's a lot of taking her everywhere and you know creating circumstances and then building her to be that. Mm. It's not by accident that that happened. It's the same with Remy. Like again, there's a big chunk of genetics into who he is. It's probably more than anything genetics, but. Like often people, when they see on the form, like Malinois, they're like, oh, you know, have you got the muzzle? How's this going to go? And I'm like, he'll be fine. Mm. Will he take food from me? Like he'll do anything he want. Like he's a dog. He's like any Labrador that you've, like any random, well put together, happy dog. He's that. You don't need to worry about like oh, what's going to happen because like whatever your normal precautions are is all you need to do with this dog. He's no different to, from the others because he's powerful and self-confident. Like there's no... He's not going to hear a noise, a bang, and unravel. You're not going to stick the thermometer in his ass and he turn around and try and bite you because he's like terrified of any unfamiliar interactions. He's going to be he'll he'll be like, oh, okay, whatever, right? And that's because that self confidence of with him more than anything it would be. I think this is a genetic trait, and it's not something that I've taught. Is that he doesn't have a lot of nerve, so there's not much to. Like he, he, it's hard to get him to fire up in an aggressive way, like to show real aggression. Yep, He's got a ton true. of prey, but to get him to show real aggression because he doesn't take anything too seriously because he doesn't feel threatened by very much, mm. right? And I think that's the idea is to create a dog that doesn't feel threatened by much so that they have that self-control over themselves, right? Like, And they're not having to exert a ton of control or you don't have to impose a ton of control. They're not having to think about controlling themselves because they don't perceive very much as a threat because they feel powerful in themselves. That's the monster that we're talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely, yes. Mm. I think good choice words like boldness, robustness, confidence mm. and fortitude of character. They're definitely things that I'm interested in investing in. And yeah, I understand how that quote could probably rattle some cages and people could get upset about it. I think it was built on creating discussion. Of course. Jordan Peterson loves to get people talking and loves to engage in people. And he can be a controversial figure at times, as we've already pointed out. As you painted that picture, I believe that that's better phrasing of it, mm. that we're trying to develop that overall robustness of the dog, that the dog feels super confident. And as you pointed out with something with Remy before where the vet remarked on how calm and confident he was or Valerie was yeah, or Val, yeah. what, Valerie. The other day, Norell and I took Mando. He's just turning five months at the moment. We took him to pet stock and the one at Dural has got this huge staircase that it's like a split level staircase that oh, yeah. goes up and down. And as a baby – it was one of the things that we lured him up and down on and, you know, had a little break halfway between and then took him all the way down. And we've done it a number of times. The other day I took him there and Narelle went in the shop. As I said, oh, I'm going to do Mando on the stairs while you're in the shop. He literally pummeled his way down there. He couldn't give a shit. I had him on a lead and I had to restrain him because he was going too fast. We got to the bottom and there was a lady down there walking into another store and she goes, oh, my God, he's really confident, is he? I said the same thing you said. I said, this isn't a fluke. This is the 10th time he's been on here. And this is the whole reason that I come here and make an effort of coming here and bringing him here is to get him used to things like this and then take him across to Bunnings and letting him watch cars hoon up and down the driveway and people pulling trolleys out. 
And she said, oh, why do you do all that? And I said, oh, you dog owner yourself? She said, yeah. And she said, uh, you know, like I've never had this explained to me. So I took five minutes to explain it to her and she said, that's really fascinating. I'm glad I bumped into you. Mm. It was nice that I got to educate somebody and give them a bit of an insight on why and how important it is for the rest of that dog's life and whatever family ends up with that dog. You know, and she said, oh, yeah, there's probably a few things that I could have, we could have done with our dog a bit better. And I said, you know what? We all can. Yeah. We can all do things a little bit better. And I said, and and again, hindsight is a wonderful thing. Mm. And, mate, the same thing that you talked about before, that eagerness to get into a puppy and, you know, like to start the training and to start pushing them early on. I mean, I've done the same sort of thing. Yeah. Where these days it's more about you just grow into your drive and when it's there, we'll start working on it a little bit later on. Yeah, yeah. You know, with Mando at the moment, he's a typical little Roddy. He's, he loves biting and he, he fetches all day long. Like when I come out to play with him at night and Narelle's in the room, literally throw something, he goes and gets it, drops it in your lap and then he wants to play tug of war with it. And then you get something else and throw that and it's backwards and forwards all night. He loves retrieving things and then he loves playing tug or biting deeply into it or something like that. But this is all puppy play. Yeah. There's nothing serious in there. There's nothing that's, um, you know, like people are saying to me, so what are you seeing? Like you're seeing these amazing drivers? I said, not yet. There's potential there. Potential exists. But he's still young and he's still a typical Rottweiler puppy. Hey, here's a question for you. Sure. I spoke about this on the live this morning. I gave my take on it. Yep. First of all, do you think that there has been a rise in reactivity in dogs generally? Yes or no? Yes. Why? What do you think is the cause of that? Definitely the COVID puppies has caused an issue. We're seeing, you know. Probably the- let, let's talk more broadly than that, like not just in the last sort of two, three years. I mean sort of in the 30 years you've been involved in dog training professionally. Yep. Like have you seen, if you were drawing a graph, would it go? Yeah, it's definitely a rise and I'll tell you why. This is my opinion. Yeah. But because there's been so much consciousness about withdrawing from tools, mm. because of that, this is my opinion. Yeah. But I believe the conscientious effort to pull people away from tools and training is causing more reactivity in dogs. Yeah. That's my thoughts. Yeah. Now, there are people out there, and you know, you use the phrase kicking your dashboard. I'm sure people are going to have some bruised toes from that comment alone. Yeah. If you talk about the art of science in any field, the art of science is to observe over time and measure changes mm. for good or for bad. It's not that be biased about it and say, I've got a dog in this race, so I want this test to win. And I say this with conviction because it sounds like a bit of a, a smart ass thing to say, but there's people who talk to me about dog behavior who see maybe three or four dogs a week. I've got 50 in my backyard, 50 plus up to 250 in my backyard at all time. And I see those dogs regularly. Like every day I see dogs. Mm -hmm. I see people walking with dogs. And sometimes I might be nonchalant about that and not really take much notice of it. And there's other times where I study people and the way they walk across the field and the way that they interact with each other. Because I'll then have to go in and talk to the girls in the reception say, don't allow this, do allow that. Mm-hmm. Or when you're handing dogs back, don't stand in a choke point and, and and I'll tell the staff why. Because I don't want there to be a fight. I don't want you to be blamed for it. I don't want you to be injured. And the injury is the main thing that I'm thinking of to them, to the dog, to the handlers, whatever it may be. But we have to modify on the fly all the time. Like I see lots of things all the time. Just because I see it, it doesn't mean I'm the best in the world at it. But what it does mean is that I see a lot of it and I see a lot of change and I am taking notice of it. I am looking at it to think there is definitely a rise. I see more of that. This is what I said to you before when we've got access to these supercomputers in our pocket. I expected 
30 years ago with the advancement of technology and when I could start to see things like the internet taking off and so forth, I thought, my God, people are going to be so intelligent in 30 years' time, it'll be a completely different world. I don't feel like that way anymore. I think something changed. I think we're more distracted by, you know, like what celebrity dopes are doing on TV than what we are about (laughs) building and enhancing our lifestyle. There are also people out there who are extremely intelligent and who do invest and who are committed and who do enroll in improving themselves and improving their their standard or their skill sets and so forth. But there's a hell of a lot more dopey people out there than there ever was. Mm -hmm. My opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I spoke about this morning and I think that there's a couple of things. I think breeding practices are kind of different, right? Yeah. So I think that there's, there probably is. Profit over purpose. Well, no, but for sure there's all that. But I think that dogs probably are becoming thinner nerved, Mm -hmm. right? Sort of in general. I I think that that's kind of happening. Maybe breeding practices. And there's a lot more of them too. Yeah, there's more people, more dogs. More people, more dogs. Yeah, like there's a hell of a lot more dogs as per capita as at any other time. Yeah, so like I think breeding practices is – is so there's there's a genetic element to it, right? Why Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing more reactivity. But I think there's three elements to it. I think first is that genetics piece. I think second is exactly what you said. And and I think – for sure along the same lines, I probably wouldn't describe it as being, you know, people not using tools. What I think is more just the idea that um, everybody's kind of, you know, the average pet owning person is sort of well bought into the idea of like, you know, training with positive reinforcement and that's great. And, mm. and we do, but I think to try and train purely with positive reinforcement, I don't think too many people actually grasp how difficult that is, right? To manage a puppy to the point where you would never give the puppy any sort of negative feedback. And I think what a lot of people, when they get a puppy and they go to a little puppy school and they tell people only reward the behaviors that you like and ignore the behaviors that you don't like, they don't really understand reinforcement. They don't understand that the dog is being reinforced by the outcomes of its behavior. So you can ignore it all you want. It's going to be reinforced by the outcome of having done it, whether you're clicking and giving it a piece of chicken or not isn't going to change the way that it does things while Mm. you're standing there ignoring it. So like taking, for example, like, and I know we've talked about this on the show before, but like a puppy's first in greeting with a a new person in a new area that maybe would cause a bit of discomfort in the puppy. Most people these days, they would, yeah, almost all puppies are going to show some sort of level of concern there, right? Mm. Like a dog gets taken into a new area. You've only had him, he's eight weeks old or, you know, nine weeks old. You've had him a week. He doesn't really know you very well. He's learning about the environment. He's kind of scared. He sees something like an imposing figure. He's six inches off the ground, right? His head's like six inches off the, off the ground. And there you are at six foot tall, standing over the dog. You appear suddenly. Of course, he has a bit of a like reactivity, bark aggressive, because he's uncomfortable in that mm. moment. And typically what the training that people are getting is – that's a fear response. You can't punish fear. Just manage the situation, get the dog out of there. And so you're like, oh shit. And you take the dog out and you think at best people just ignore the behavior. At worst, they kind of run away and it's reinforced, right? Mm. So like, I think a lot of people don't fully get that the way you deal with behaviors at their earliest presentation can cause really big changes down the line. Mm. And I think a lot of the sort of general public that are raising puppies and causing them to become reactive tend not to understand that like they think that reinforcement takes the form only of the food that they're giving the dog. Mm. That's it. Whereas like reinforcement in its meaning of like increase the frequency and likelihood of the behavior is actually taking place 
via the environment. And so – Well, we did that episode a while ago on negative reinforcement versus negative punishment yeah. and how often that can be misconstrued. Yeah, totally. Even by competent trainers. Yeah. So in the past, you know, and what I would do with a puppy and, and I think probably what – like, and I know we've discussed this, but like probably what even good dog trainers who would describe themselves as like, I don't use punishment, I don't – like we're all going to manage that situation very similarly in that we're going to sort of like short line the dog so he can't bounce around at the end of it and we'll just be like hey this isn't a threat to you we're going to wait for him to calm down the dog will try appeasement they get to pat the person Mm. the dog's okay the dog goes ah fuck turns out this isn't a threat turns out and then that person rubs them on the belly and they're a happy little puppy again and they start thinking differently about people yep and most dog trainers and and i don't care where you fall on like the spectrum of dog training that's what we're going to do right it's only the like lunatics that grab the dog and run away Mm. but that's what sort of is the interpretation of the average person. Like I think that the average person who's been told positive reinforcement's the way to go, I think that they're quite good at the application of the positive reinforcement in like, I like that, I want more of it. But then they they don't know how to, when something goes wrong, deal with that because that then means you can't just use positive reinforcement. There has to be consequences for action and inaction, right? Mm. Positive and negative. But if you want to only use positive reinforcement in that moment, the way that you control every interaction has to be super precise. Mm. And it takes a different level of skill set, right? Like any dog trainer can pull it off, but the average person, like you need to know, okay, this puppy's going out for the first time. It's going to meet people. I need to bring in that level of arousal. I need to have first got to the point where the dog is, you know, wants my food. I have a way of marking it. I need to control this first interaction with a person to the point where I can control the dog's emotional state. I can guarantee the positive outcome. I can short circuit that like aggressive response. I can make sure that that never happens. I can get to the end without going down that road. I can make the dog feel a certain way. It's easy enough to do. People can pull that off, but the when the messaging is just you're only trying with positive reinforcement, the average person doesn't get that. They're mm. like, oh, shit. And then the dog reacts and they're like, oh, you know, I'm not meant to punish this. So they get the dog out of there not realizing like the dog then goes, right, that's the behavior that turns off the pressure, right? That's what – and the pressure is discomfort of the presence of another person. Hey, presto, now you've got a reactive dog. Mm. So I think that's the second sort of reason why we see more dog reactivity because of that. And I think the last one is just sort of unfulfilled dogs. I think that's one of the big things that we see a lot now is, you know, just a lot of dogs in homes that they shouldn't be in, right? Like I think that's one of the – like you can do everything right with a dog. And I, the example I always use is my own dogs, right? So like Remy, you could do everything right with him. If you don't train the way he wants to train, he's going to fuck up your house, mm. right? Like he's he's going to become what would be diagnosed as a reactive dog, you know, and it would be – whether you put it into people would call him aggressive because he might become that or he might be just a like a lunatic that has to be medicated in the house. If you don't let him fight something regularly, he becomes unmanageable in that regard. So like if he were in a house, you know, if he were astray and found and called a, a German Shepherd cross, right, and rehomed with a random person that wanted a, a couch potato, he would very quickly become a reactive dog. And and I think that's what we see tons of, especially mm. Kelpies, right? Like we see that Kelpie staffies, dogs that want to do shit and get put in a house that doesn't want to do anything with them. That's, I think, one of the biggest sources of reactivity. So for me, I think it's those three ingredients. I think breeding practices probably plays a role. I think that misunderstanding of application of training, people just trying to do what they've heard is the right thing, but don't have the detail in understanding of pulling it off, right? Because like it works, you do all the positive stuff, it totally works, but you've got to know what you're doing. It's not like this surface level understanding of it, does, that's not going to cut it. I think that's one of the truths of training. Like if you want to be really, if you want to train a dog to a really high level and be like a positive reinforcement only trainer, 
your skill set in that regard is going to have to be way higher than a person who's prepared to use a full spectrum of motivation. Mm. And we see that. We see that in the industry by people who are incredible dog trainers and, you know, like arguably some of the best in the world being beaten at trials by plumbers, right, who, mm. who turn up to the club twice a month, right, because they're balanced trainers. So it's just more effective. No one can make that argument. Now, whether you want to do a different way or whatever, but to be really effective, it requires a much higher skill set. I absolutely agree. Um, it's, a, it's a very high-disciplined outcome. Yeah. And mm. then, yeah, like I said, last thing is just, I think, unfulfilled dogs, dogs that like people get working dogs because they look cool, especially in my area, mate. It's fucking flooded with Gelpies. And, and the amount of times I've heard, heard people say like, oh, I didn't get a pet shop one. I got one off a farm. Like I got like, <laughs> and it's like, you're better off with the pet shop yep. one. The pet shop one was bred to be a little house dog. He, he's a Kelpie in disguise. Like he doesn't, he's not a Kelpie. He's wearing, he's a, he's a Cavoodle wearing a Kelpie suit, right? Whereas you got one from a farm who's like, Probably no one in his bloodline ever has lived in a house, right? He's been tied to everybody in his bloodline for the last 200 years has been tied to a tree, works cattle all day, and then gets tied to a tree again, eats once a week when they get handed a, a kangaroo carcass. And you're wondering why he's got no food drive, off tap prey drive, wants to chase everything and isn't interested in a relationship with mm. you because nobody in his lineage has ever been interested in or had access to those things. Do you know when I saw a huge rise in the Kelpie population? No. After Red Dog? Straight after Red Dog. Yeah. Literally six months after Red Dog, an absolute plethora of Kelpie puppies started flooding the market. Mate, I'm looking forward to the day we get Casey on because he knows the dog that played Red Dog and the dog's mad dangerous, has bit tons of people. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> right? So that like, was a video he put together the other day of him with, yeah, with all, all the, the camels running in and yep. – Tigers jumping around on their back legs and all sorts of Mate, shit. Mate, he's got to write a book. Oh, we, we've got to get him on the podcast and just talk stories. We yeah. need, But we need like six hours for him. Oh, and, yeah, I know. That's going to be. And your, your Fenton button. Yes, yes. Yeah. Funnily enough, you said that. Greg said to me today, why don't you use the Fenton thing anymore? And I said, man, I've just got lazy. I just, oh, really? It, it's too easy to use. I thought use you must it. have had a reason for not doing it. No, no reason. People actually like it and get whingy when I don't use it. So yeah. I'm going to have to go back to using. Here, I, I'm going to have to say the word. Fenton! Yeah, I'll say. Fenton! As well, so okay, so we can do double Fenton. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the biggest laughter I got in the group today was playing the Fenton clip to the Rangers. Oh, yeah. They watched that and they it's were- It's a timeless classic. It's a timeless classic, but we did the old joke about it, how- Glenn, you have all the world's knowledge in your hand and you're using it to just watch videos. Fenton, <laughs> Fenton videos, yeah. Fenton. All right. All right, good. That's a place to wrap it up. Yeah, it's a good place. All right. Hey, that's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. Mm -hmm. As always, if you like what you hear, please, what's the way that people can spread the message? What's the Well, I dare not say thing? do it in a urinal no, this time stop because, it. Stop yeah. It. Um, <laughs> the best way to do it would be to hire a sign writer. Yep. I think if someone hired a, you know, one of those. One of those planes that flies up yep. in the sky and just say, we love the canine paradigm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. TCP. Yeah. Just at a minimum, three letters. What could that cost? Or should they drag along the big script at the back? Where Yeah, that'd work. Yeah. yeah. How comes that's not really a thing anymore? It's probably dangerous. That's why. No, but like when I was a kid. Used to see it quite regularly. Sign writing all the time. Yeah. It was like all the time people writing stuff in the sky. Now it's like very rare. Oh, why is that? I don't know. Like you see it on like a it's big probably, event day. It's probably expensive. That's why. Yeah. Like especially with fuel prices these days, I probably think yeah. just to get up and write, Pat loves Glenn. 
<laughs> You've had a quote done, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know exactly what it costs. Oh, yeah, it's per letter, but the P turn, you know, they, they, they charge. No, it. I got done by a council ranger for chipping it on a tree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, do that. Carve it into a tree. No, yep. don't do that. Just don't graffiti that. it. Go, yep. go to like a local skate park or something and just graffiti there. Listen to the Create an NFT. Home. And then, yeah. and then sell it and, and cash us in. I had an idea about creating NFTs, actually. Did you? Yeah. Mm. Anyway, it's a different story. Okay. I, I had a – I'll tell you at some point. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to do it. Yep. So I may as well tell everyone because it's too hard. But yep. I, I had a cool idea. All right. So, yeah, tell a friend. Write it on a wall. Do something like that. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to jump into Patreon. I'm live in there every month and trickle a bunch of other stuff in there. There's a giant backlog of information in there. Mm. Heaps to see. No better time than to jump in and cash yourself up full of Patreon goodness. Yeah, <laughs> cash yourself, cash us up. Cash us up, um, yeah. We've had, like, you get incredible feedback from the Patreon stuff, and I really am forever grateful of everybody that donates money through there. It's yeah. incredible to me that that happens. It pays all our bills. It buys all our equipment. We're sitting here at a fancy table you guys bought, in chairs you guys bought, talking into microphones that you guys bought. With computers that you bought. Yeah, listening Mixing to, desks that came through Patreon. Yep. I'm making videos on, that are getting me in trouble on YouTube with cameras that you guys bought. Yep. No, you guys didn't buy that camera. No, you didn't buy that one. That was a work one. Anyway, really? but yeah, <laughs> I used a work one because I was at work when I made that. There's times where you've pointed out and there's times where I've seen on Patreon where there's some incredibly high-end generosity that people have donated a lot of money. But I realized something the other day that people are generous no matter what level of that they donate through Patreon. There's totally. been... Because, I mean, it depends on your lifestyle. Like some, to some people, $10 is a very generous amount of money and oh, nice. we don't appreciate that any less. What yeah. we wanted to say is thank you guys for your contributions because, as we've said, you kick the show along, you keep our gear modern. 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 Yeah. yeah they keep our gear modern and they keep our gear updated. Yeah. Um, they pay all the bills for the show now because we have to pay taxes for TCP. They You pay our taxes yep. and everything. For the people who do sponsor and the people who donate through Patreon – that's where the money's going. Yep. It goes to all the bills for the show. It doesn't go in our pockets. Yep. We don't draw a wage from it or anything like that. We just upgrade our equipment mm-hmm. as needed. And it all goes into, you know, our subscriptions for Adobe and everything like that that we use to edit the show. So there's a lot of things that, as being transparent as we are, there's a lot of things that go back into keeping our show running. One of the main things is it keeps me at a level of guilt that I make sure I do yeah, <laughs> make yeah. sure a show comes out as often as I possibly can. Yeah, you've been doing great, really <laughs> great with your Patreon content. <laughs> That's one of the things. It's a great source of stress to me, actually, because <laughs> the money comes out whether I put something in there or not. And I'm what? like, oh, I'm, fuck, I've got to do it. I was fever pitched over not getting the podcast out while I was sick, you yeah. know, but I just, I literally couldn't sit up at the bench and do it. I was in bed and, and being a giant man baby and having being a massive burden on my poor overstretched wife already. Oh, dear. Yeah. All she right. did such a good job. If you don't want to give some money on Patreon, yep. you just buy a T-shirt. Yep. You can go to spring. Get in the spring. Yep. Buy a water bottle. And- no water bottles. <laughs> <laughs> someone send us a link to somewhere where we can get water bottles that people can buy. Or someone else make the water bottles and you sell them. You make a profit. People yeah. want the water bottles. Yep. All right. So buy a water bottle. Um, <laughs> if you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is to jump into the discussion group. We try mm-hmm. to keep it cool in there. So if you're in there, just don't be a to anyone. Oh, now that's another it's use offended. of the Fenton button. Yep. And if you want to uh, get in touch with us, best way to send us an email. We're in for the Canon Paradigm. Goodbye.